So this week again, as we get into this, we're going to see a man come and ask Jesus a question. And then it's going to continue with Jesus talking to the disciples afterwards. <laughs> so let's get into God's Word. Matthew 19, verse 16. If you got anyone needs a Bible, um, maybe one of the Daniels back there can come through and pass out Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, Selby's got some right there. If you need a Bible, take that one home for free. That's a present from Jesus. If you need a So Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. They're just continuing from last week. Jesus is continuing his journey. Remember, he's heading towards Jerusalem. This is in his last week or two before he's going to face the cross. So Matthew 19, verse 16. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Interesting. It starts with someone. As they address this person, you see their, their name is not even given, nor truly their position. But... As we can look at this and study this, we can see this is probably one of the religious leaders. And this debate, this question that he's asking, question, it was a very common one in the day. It's a very common one in our day, isn't it? How do I have eternal life? And they would sit around and debate that question. Now this rich, young ruler, we, can, we know that he's a rich, young ruler. If we look at the other Gospels, we can learn these facts about him. He's brought forth this important question. Maybe some of us, question, how do I have eternal life? Or maybe you've had some similar type of questions. I've had them. I've had similar questions like, teacher, Jesus, what good deed must I do to have your blessings? So let's get started after and actually see what Jesus has to say about this question. Look at verse 17. Why ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. To answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Jesus is trying to help this man understand the answer. He wants to answer his question. The man, but this man needed to understand something. If you look at it, what was his good deed? What was good? This good deed, this good is Jesus. And we know that Jesus is God. So Jesus really, in a sense, has answered this man's question. But this man didn't understand it. He couldn't grasp it. So Jesus is going to take this entire passage now and try to explain to this man and to anyone else that's ever asked this question, how do we have eternal life? Now Jesus is clear. Here, if you look at this, look at that verse. Keep the commandments. He's clear that you, you can be saved if you could keep all the commandments from God. Easy, right? Anybody see a problem with this? Jesus tells us, man, just keep all the commandments. So you may be perfect in God's eyes to be without sin. What do you think? Can we do that? I see a problem here. For me, I can't do this. I can't keep all the commandments. It's impossible. I'm going to show you. Turn to Romans 5.12. can't follow all the commandments. 
this, man. Just follow the commands if you want to have eternal life. But the problem is, as we see, none of us are capable of doing this. But don't worry. Jesus is going to go through this. He's going to show us how each one of us can be saved and how each one of us can have eternal life. So let's go back to verse 17, back in Matthew. And let's look again at this. Look at verse 17. You see that there's only one who is good. Do you see that? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about what is good. Because you can see here that it is this one that is good is Jesus. So if someone, think about this. So many people say that maybe they don't know Jesus or they haven't accepted Jesus as their personal Savior. But they'll go up and say, you know, Jesus, he was good. He was a good teacher. Or they'll, they'll talk about him in this way. And just as this man was. But when people say that, to say Jesus is good, you're saying he was a good teacher. You're saying that what Jesus said is true. So many people, when they say that, they don't understand what they're really saying. Because every time they say he is good, they're saying what he is true. They're also saying what he said was true. What he said is that he was God. So it's interesting when you look at this uh, rich man's response. So what is our response to keeping the commandments? Let's look at it. This man's response. Look at verses 18 and 19. Which ones? The man asked. And Jesus replied, You must not commit murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and your mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we all know about the Ten Commandments, most everyone here. Do you notice how they weren't all there? For some reason, which we're going to look at, you see Jesus only gives six of them there. Now look at look at the commandments closely. What do you see about these six that he did give? Must not murder, must not commit adultery, must not steal, must not testify falsely, honor your mother and father, love your neighbor. All these commandments that Jesus listed to this man are all the commandments that deal with people. So if we look at this, and also, you know, he says right there, he says, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. And I looked it up, though. If you actually look at the original language, it's not just like a one-time thing. It's also saying that this is an ongoing, a continual process for all of us. It's not just one time. You must not do that. But this is really a lifestyle of not doing this. Now, this Jesus is giving this to this man as a requirement to have eternal life. A continual process of not breaking these commandments. Now, if any of us could follow all of these perfectly, we would be an amazing person, right? I mean, imagine the person we'd be inside of our communities, and none of us broke this at all. We'd be, it'd be awesome. Never hurting anyone, always staying faithful in our relationships, never stealing, uh, loving and honoring our family. Uh, we'd be just an amazing friend. Be an amazing person if we followed all these different commandments that God has given. But even as amazing as we might be to fellow man, it wouldn't be enough. Because we may follow all these and be righteous in God's eyes, in the people's eyes, but we still would not be righteous in God's eyes. So let's see as this conversation continues. Look at verse 20. 
This is the man responding back now. I have obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? What else must I do? This man's life, I bet you this guy was great, a good guy. I really do. I mean, I, he probably didn't get this perfect, but in his eyes and in man's eyes, he lived an amazing life. Um, I bet you he was an, an amazing example for any of us to look at. If you looked at him, I'm sure that it would have been amazing. Like, wow, this guy stand up. This man believed he had followed all these commandments. He believed he had never lied, he never stole, he had never murdered, he had never done all these things. But then, if he believed all of this, why was he asking Jesus this question? Why was he saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why, why would he believe there's still something else needed for him to have this? Why is he questioning this? I mean, you think about this in the story. I'm sure this man was a Jewish man. If you read the text, he was very wealthy or rich. He had believed that he had followed all the rules or the commandments. Why was he asking this question? Let's turn to Mark 10.21. I'll just look at the first half of this verse in Mark 10.21, just to get a little better view of this. Mark 10.21. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done. So you see this story, I think this uh, this is kind of a genuine situation. You know, most of the time when the Pharisees and religious leaders come up to Jesus, they're trying to get him to trick him or trying to get him in to answer something strange like last week. I think this is not the case here. I think this man genuinely believed he followed all the commands as he understood them. Genuinely wanted to understand how he could have eternal life. And Jesus even saw this man, he saw this man's heart, and he saw this question was legitimate. This man was truly seeking answers. And maybe there's somebody even here today that would seek the same and ask the same question. Maybe you would ask like this man, what can I do to assure my salvation? I know there's some here, I'm sure, that would ask that question. Maybe you would say, well, I'm a good person. This guy was a great person. Probably better than any of us, I'm sure, by looking at his example there. But like this man, many of us would ask, I want to be sure of what's going to happen to me after I die. Maybe you're wondering, is there something I need to do? Or maybe you're wondering, have I done enough? Um, what, would it, what do I have to do to have everlasting, everlasting life in heaven? What else must I do? And Jesus, you see, I mean, this man, I, this was legitimate. Just like we've had this question, I'm sure. There's, you know, this is something that each of us have to answer. A knowledge that we need to save you. Let's look at verse 21. Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect... Go and sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So now you read this. What do you think? Does everyone need to go home and sell all your stuff? Go home and uh, empty out your bank account and give it all to the poor? Also, another question. 
What does it mean to be perfect? Jesus says it there. You see in that verse? If you want to be perfect, what is that perfect? Let's look at these two questions. Ready? Here's the, here's the answer to the first question. You don't have to go sell all your stuff. Some of you are relieved about that, I hope. Or maybe you're like, I don't have much to sell anyways. Now, it's true. We don't necessarily have to go and liquidate all of our bank account. We don't have to go sell all of our stuff. But there's a real important lesson in here that we're going to look at. We do need to be good stewards of whatever God has blessed us with. And we also have to be willing to give up anything that would come in front of our relationship with God. Now our attitude of our heart, should there should be nothing that should come between us and God. And we should never use any possessions or wealth in any type of selfish act. This is all, all these things that we are blessed with should be used to glorify God. The second question was, how do we become perfect in God's eyes? What's the answer to that? How do you become perfect in God's eyes? We can all remember and know that works can never accomplish this. This man thought that his works had accomplished this, but they can't. It's only through Jesus and what he did on the cross that this is possible, to be seen as perfect in God's eyes. If we want to see, be seen as perfect in God's eyes, we must be followers of Jesus. And he must be number one in our lives. This is the first commandment, which we haven't got into yet. This is a challenge given to this man by Jesus. This is what was required of this man to have eternal life. To make God number one in his life. But you can see as you look at this story, very unfortunate for this man. I believe his trust was in his possessions, in his money. It wasn't in God. Jesus knew this man's heart. If this man was to ever surrender and follow Jesus and truly trust and rely upon Jesus, he was going to have to give away his possessions. But this is something God knew about this particular man in this particular instance. Because this man's wealth was his God. Now, because of that, he's breaking the first commandment. Now, many things can come. It's not just wealth. Many, many things can come between us and God. And, you know, I think you can even deal with this after you're saved. Many things can come between us and God in our relationship with God. Maybe there's something even in some of our lives that's come between us and our complete reliance upon Jesus. Sometimes we have to look at our lives and kind of do an assessment and say, has anything come before God in our life? Maybe we need to let that go and trust Jesus. Let's look back at that passage. Do you see the word then? Then come follow me. So what has to happen, what truly has to take place in this story before this man or before any of us can be followers of Jesus? This is a call from Jesus here to put him first in our lives and then follow him. Now what choice do you think this man's going to make? Will he put Jesus first in his life? What choice will we make? 
Do you put Jesus first in your life above every single thing in your life? Let's look at verse 22. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Sad story. This man valued worldly possessions more than eternal life. He felt the cost of following God, following Jesus, was too high to bear. It was too much for him. He couldn't accept it. Now you can read this story and you can be like, how could this man do this? Right? And you're like, no way. I would never do that, right? But I'll tell you, I can admit myself, I've walked at times a very fine line of what's most important in my life. And we need to look at that during our lives. Because there's been times, I tell you, I don't know that God was number one in my life. There's been times maybe it was a job. Maybe it was money or possessions. Maybe it was my own family. Maybe it was my education. Maybe it was this church. Maybe it was people. Other relationships. So many things can come between us and God. You think about just this last week. You know the times that you're supposed to be reading your Bible. You know the times that you're supposed to be in prayer. The times that you're supposed to be spending with God. What, just in this last week, what has came in the way of you and your relationship with God just this last week? Maybe it's Facebook. Maybe it's your phone. I don't know. But I tell you what, it's really easy for things to get in the way. And really easy for things in our lives to start taking precedence over our relationship with Jesus. God needs to be number one. Maybe God has spoken to some of you saying He needs to be first in your life. I don't know. Maybe there's something else in your life that you value more than your relationship with God. Maybe a career. Maybe a college test. I don't know. We have to be so careful about this. Now Jesus doesn't end this story here, right? This is He's going to go to His disciples now. Let's look at verses 23 through 24. Then Jesus said to His disciples, I tell you the truth. It is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why is this so true? Why would it be harder for a rich man to accept Jesus than a poor person? Why? There's, there's truth. There's a lot of truth to this. One reason is that if we are wealthy, we can have a very comfortable life here on earth. And if we're very, very comfortable and we're very satisfied in this world with what we have, we will look nowhere else. Riches can also stumble us because we can just, we don't see that there's anything else we would need in our lives. Another problem that comes is, it's not even the wealth, but it's the seeking of wealth. The seeking of, through education, through a job, uh, whatever it would be, seeking out that wealth can come in the way of us seeking out God. Now this example, this example given of a camel passing through a needle. And you think about that. In this day, the needle hole was probably one of the smallest holes you could probably imagine. Smallest thing you could probably see with your eye. I mean, the smallest thing. And the camel was basically one of the largest animals 
of the day that they knew of. I mean, maybe there's an elephant, I don't know, but definitely one of the largest animals. When you think about this, why would, this is a silly analogy, right? I mean, obviously, there's no way a camel could pass through a needle, the, the hole in the needle, right? And there's a lot of different people and have different opinions on this, but this is just, I believe Jesus, when he said this, it's not possible. It's not. It absolutely is not possible. And that's why we get to look at verse 25. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? They asked. They thought that if anyone could be saved, or anyone would be saved, it would be the rich man. Because in this, this culture of Jesus' time, if a person who is rich or in a prominent position... They believed that person was that way because God had blessed them. And they were in that position because of God. So it's hard for the disciples to understand why a rich man would have such a hard time having eternal life. Because they thought that was bestowed on him by God. Now I think a lot of people still mistake that today. They see a person that's wealthy or doing well in life. And they, you know, I see it and they, they're like, well that person must be blessed by the Lord. That's not all the way, all the time true. It can be sometimes. So this was hard for the disciples to understand, especially in their culture. Let's look at verse 26. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Jesus explained, With God, everything is possible. Even rich people... Wealthy people can enter the kingdom. It's faith in Christ. It's not riches or works or anything else that counts. It's faith in Jesus. I don't know what... We asked these questions earlier. You know, What can you do to inherit eternal life? I don't know what people are counting on for salvation. If they're looking towards riches or their works... But it is only through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is good news. Good news for all of us. Because with God, this is possible. Let's look at verse 27. I like this verse. Then Peter, you know Peter, right? Said to him, We've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Isn't this great? I mean, you just think about this, right? The disciples, you know... They, they expected a reward for all this work they were doing for Jesus. Peter was questioning Jesus after hearing this response from Jesus. Why was he doing this? Why was he asking this question? What did Jesus ask from the disciples that caused Peter to be so bold in asking this? Now, was, was it wrong for Peter to ask this question to Jesus? What do you think? Was it wrong to go up to Jesus? What do I get out of serving you? Was this wrong? It's kind of weird. I don't know. Jesus had asked a lot from the disciples, right? We know that. They had left their homes. They had left their families. They had jobs. I'm sure as they followed them, their families thought they were pretty crazy following this Jesus guy running for three years. They would given up a lot. And I think there's a lot of us here that could probably you know, go along that same lines. We've given up a lot to follow Jesus. A lot of us have moved away from our families. A lot of us have given up wealth and possessions to do that. 
A lot of us have been mocked and looked down upon for what we're doing. We can do other things. So Peter's like, what do I get from this? Is that wrong to ask? Now, Jesus had just told them that this rich man would face extreme difficulty receiving eternal life. That it was going to be extremely hard for him. And that humanly, it was humanly impossible for them to inherit eternal life. So what are they thinking? What are the disciples thinking right now? What's Peter? He actually spoke up and said it. Was he thinking right now after three years and everything I've done was all this for nothing? These disciples had expected something different. They, they, they weren't doing this just to do this. They were expecting a reward. They were expecting Jesus to be the Messiah. They were expecting to receive a place with him. They were expecting, I'm sure, to get wealth out of it. They're expecting that when he would claim to be the Messiah, they would get influential positions, that they would rule alongside Jesus. That's what they were looking for. That's what they were expecting. They believed that to get all these things is what it meant to be blessed by God. So Peter's like, hey, Jesus, I'm not like the rich man. We gave up everything to follow you. So what do we get for doing this? Let's look at verses 28 and 29. Jesus replied, I assure you that when this world is made new, and the Son of Man sits upon His glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or property, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much in return, and will inherit eternal life. Now as we read this, these rewards that are spoken of here, there there's a lot of different opinions on what these exact thrones are, and um, I'm not real sure on some of this. This is all speaking of the kingdom of Jesus. And that there is a very special privilege and a position for the disciples in God's kingdom. And Jesus is assuring the disciples that anyone, anyone, not just them, that gives up their life for Jesus will be repaid many, many times over. This should be encouraging, because sometimes it's hard. Now, as we see this promise that the disciples received and that we receive. I don't, I don't know if the disciples misconstrued this or not, but it's not in the same ways necessarily. You don't, you know, maybe you tied the water and you give a lot of money away. It doesn't mean you're going to receive a whole bunch of money back. Or maybe you left your family. What would happen there? Maybe, maybe to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you had to forsake your family. I know people here just dealing with that. By accepting Christ, your family disowns you. But I'll tell you what. When you accept Christ, you gain a whole big, larger family. A family of believers. You have new brothers and sisters. And so that is true. You do gain more. You can also... We can know one thing. No matter how much you give, no matter how much you're asked to give to God, you can never outgive God. He tells us here that we will receive a hundred times as much in return. And inherit eternal life. We can never outgive God. 
Look at verse 30. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem the least important now will be the greatest then. Jesus is clear as we look at this last verse. It is the humble who will benefit from the kingdom. It's not the proud. It's the humble servants who are the greatest in the kingdom. So as we look at this message, it's kind of a short one today. The question we're all faced with is who do we put our trust in? Is it our talents? Our possessions? Money? Our family? Our education? Our own self-drive? Or a dozen other things that I'm not listing? Or is it Jesus? Where does your alliance lie? Who is number one in your life? Are you willing to make sacrifices for greater rewards later? This man was asked to give away all of his possessions and follow Jesus. He said no. Are you willing to accept human disapproval knowing that you have God's approval? I can think of lots of examples of that. I think of people that go into ministry. You know, a lot of people... You go into ministry, they're like, why are you doing that? Why don't you get a, why don't you, you know, get a different job? Why don't you support your family? And I, did, I didn't have a lot of people's approval to get into ministry. But I had God's approval. I want to look at one more verse here before we close. I'm going to turn to Ephesians. Ephesians 2.8. Through 10. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. You know, I admit, in the past, I have believed or at least hoped that if I were to do enough good deeds or enough good works, maybe if I prayed a little extra or if I fasted or if I tithed a little more or maybe if I promised the Lord if I read my Bible a little more, maybe I could earn that favor with God. I had that position once with God. I believed that if I just work a little bit harder that He would bless me. Now I'm not sure why I had that attitude. I obviously had a, a misunderstanding I don't understand why I would need to do anything else besides placing my trust in Jesus Christ. So that's what I'm always asking for here. He's asking just to be number one in your life. That nothing would come before him. That's all he's asking for. Now, this rich man, unfortunately, money and possessions were number one in his life. So that needed to be removed. It doesn't mean that's the way for all of us. But all of us have things that can come up in our lives that can take the place. And that can become idols in front of God. This can happen before we're saved and after we're saved. So we have to be so careful. Now, it's true, we are supposed to live out our lives doing good works. But when we do these good works and do these things that God's called us to do, it's not to earn His favor. We already have that. God, Jesus already took care of that on the cross for each and every one of us. 